Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. The Lord took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Thank you, Tony. Good morning, everyone. We've got a bit of a family uh, habit that we have dinner together. We have uh, family meals at night together and uh, 
Most nights uh, we, we're at the table, we, we do this little thing where we pray together and we give thanks. And so someone will say, oh, look, thanks for my day, thanks for this, thanks for that. And the, the last person says thanks for the meal. Then uh, we eat and we talk. Uh, sometimes we read the Bible, we talk about that. Um, and it's messy. And I don't mean just the taco nights. I mean, it's, uh, you know, some nights some of us are tired. Some nights, some of us are grumpy. I'm pretty sure we've had some silent meals um, and the, the thanks are sort of, you know, muttered through grumbled teeth. Um, but recently, we had an absolute cracker of a night. One of those nights where it, it just, everyone was in a good mood. Everyone uh, ha- had fun. Everyone laughed at my jokes. We, we had deep and rich conversations. And it was this leaving it of the table where, where I thought, wow, that, w- that was like perfect. How do I capture that again? How, how do I make sure that happens again? You know, was it Helen's tomato and salami fettuccine that we had tonight? Was it, was it the jokes that I told? Was it that it was a bit early? What was it? How can we capture this, this joy, this joyous moment, this joyous feeling? And so I left with that thought of wanting to hold on to the joy that we had in that moment. Our series that we're starting today is called Joy to the World. Joy to the World. Now, it's not a series with a twist. You know what happens at the end. We get to Christmas and Jesus is born. But it's a series that's designed to help remind us of what's coming that Jesus' birth is coming. But not only that, but also that Jesus is coming again. It's a series in this season of what we call Advent. So these few Sundays leading up to Christmas, where we look ahead and anticipate that Jesus is coming and look at the Christmas story and the joy that it brings. And so what we decided to do this year is look at three characters in the Bible who were also anticipating Jesus' coming. So in the lead up to Christmas. And so I'm going to talk about Abraham this morning. And so Tony just gave us three readings out of Abraham's life and conversation with God. But before we dive into Abraham, as we look at the Bible, it's really important that we understand um, or, or draw in our own context to understand some of the things we're talking about. And so we're talking today about this idea of joy. The idea of joy. Now, I've spent a bunch of time in the last few weeks thinking about joy, and uh, I would love to give you the Hebrew or Greek definition uh, and, and be done, but here's the thing. I'm still wrestling with what joy actually is. Let me walk you through this as we try and understand this. The first thing I want to invite you to do is this. See if you can think of an experience where you've had joy. Think, think of an experience that you've had, maybe recently, where you'd say, ah, yes, that was joyful. Now, let, let me test it for you a little bit. Are you sure that that wasn't happiness? Or are they the same thing? Are, are you sure that it wasn't pleasure? Or, or a pleasure and joy, happiness? How, how do we distinguish between these things? Joy, pleasure, happiness. What, what actually is joy? Now, in my search, 
I went to a few different places, and I want to share them with you as we, as we try and get our minds around what joy means. Uh, one of the places I went was to a TEDx talk. Now, you might have heard of TEDx. Um, I'm going to tell you what they say about themselves. Uh, TEDx talk is a showcase for speakers presenting great, well-formed ideas in under 18 minutes. That gave me a bit of a clue for how long I should be preaching for, but there you go. A great, well-presented, uh, sorry, uh, uh, presenting ideas, well-formed ideas, um, the great, well-formed ideas. So, so I went to TEDx and I looked up Joy, and I went and listened to a speaker who had two and a half million views. So this person's been listened to, very popular. And here's what I learned about Joy. The things that bring us joy include, and I've got a slide to show them to you, cherry blossoms, bubbles, googly eyes, and rainbows. This is where joy comes from. The definition given of joy was that it's an intense, momentary feeling of positive emotion. An intense, momentary feeling of positive emotion. Now, that didn't quite sit well with me. There was something in me that said, ah, oh, I, I thought joy was maybe longer than that, not just momentary. So I moved on. And I went to the dictionary. I thought, okay, that, that's boring, but that might be helpful. So what did the dictionary tell me? It said that joy is an emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Or, option two, a state of happiness. So now suddenly joy and happiness, they're sort of the same. I found that very unhelpful as well. Finally, no, not quite finally, the, the final uh, thing that I went to that's kind of pop culture, if you like, I went to the movies. So I don't know if you've seen a movie called Inside Out. It is a fantastic movie. I'd, I'd really recommend it for you and the kids. Um, what it does is it looks at the story of an 11-year-old kid called Riley, and you get to see inside Riley's head. And the characters that you see up there on the screen are the emotions of joy, fear, disgust, sadness, and anger. Now, I'm not going to spoil it, um, but, but here's what I'll, what I'll tell you. At the start, Joy, who's the one in the yellow dress and the blue hair, thinks the whole thing is about herself. It's all about Joy. No room for the other emotions. She drives everything. But as the movie progresses, we start to see, and the message that we take away, is that joy can coexist really well with other emotions, in particular, sadness. So as I went to the movies, I started to see, ah, okay, as we think about joy, I think that feels right. Joy can coexist with these other emotions, and particularly with negative emotions, and that's a bit strange. So I went and looked at a uh, C.S. Lewis book. This is the final piece before we get back to what the Bible tells us. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. It's a beautiful book, Surprised by Joy. It's a story of his coming to understand the joy of knowing Jesus. It's a story of him becoming a Christian. But it's interwoven with the story of him meeting a lady who was to become his wife called Joy. Surprised by joy, beautiful title. And I wanted to share with you his definition of joy because it's probably the closest one that I found to what I think is 
what's going on as we read through the Bible and understand joy. It's also complicated, so I'm going to put it on the screen and, and read it through twice. You ready? Lewis said that joy is an unsatisfied desire, which in itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. Now, let, let me just say this again. We're going to unpack it. I'm even going to try and give you an example. Joy is an unsatisfied desire, which in itself is more desirable than any other satisfaction. Now, the example that I've been thinking this, this could work, we actually saw a little video on it. A bundle of joy. Have you heard that expression? A bundle of joy. We refer to babies as bundles of joy. But why? If you've ever had a baby, if you know anything about babies, you know that a baby means you will be wiping somebody's bottom for quite a long time. You will not be sleeping so well. You can empty your wallet out into all the things you need to buy for this thing as it grows. Joy? Well, I wonder if the unsatisfied desire as we hold that bundle of joy is the idea that one day we might be sitting at a table chatting and laughing about rich things and seeing that joy. But at that moment, yes, it's a bundle of joy, but it's an unsatisfied desire that is going to be fulfilled at some time down the track. So in summary, as I search for my understanding of what joy is, I think it's an emotion. I think it's different to happiness. It can coexist with other emotions like sadness, and I think it points to something more. I wonder if that sits well with you. But as you soak on that, let's have a look at Abraham and this question. Did Abraham have joy? Did Abraham have joy? Well, let's, uh, let's have a look in our Bible. So the story of Abraham in the Old Testament starts in Genesis 12. Uh, now, you don't, don't need to look that up. I've got it here, Genesis 12. Uh, and then Abraham gets called. Tony read some of that. We're through 15 and 16. Uh, okay, no joy yet. 17, there's another covenant. Chapter 18, 19, uh, Lot is rescued. Uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens. Then we get through to... Oh. Then we sort of get through to chapter 25 and Abraham's death. And the unfortunate thing about using Abraham as a character for joy is that it's not mentioned at all in the Old Testament. There is no reference to Abraham having joy in the Old Testament. Bummer. Maybe this won't be even an 18-minute sermon. Can we then infer, maybe, that Abraham had joy? Can we infer it? Well, it seems that Abraham was this nomad wandering around the land of Canaan. But right at the outset, as Tony read to us, we're told that God speaks something to him. And God says to him, go west, and I'll show you once you go. And then he says these incredible things. These promises, we read them these days as a covenant. God says, I will make a great nation of your descendants. I will make you great. All the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. Wow. Was that a joyous moment, do you think? 
Was that a joyous moment? Well, a little bit of context. Abraham was 75 at this point. So for all of you septuagenarians out there, just imagine after church, God says, go home, pack up everything you've got in the car, head across the Nullarbor, I'll tell you where you're going. Hmm. Was that joyous? That sounds like a kind of a difficult trip, doesn't it? Uh, trials, tribulations lay ahead, uncertainty. But I can't help but think that perhaps it really was a joyful moment for Abraham because everything changed for Abraham in that moment as God spoke to him. His whole life paradigm changed. All the events that happened subsequently that might otherwise have just been tragic, perhaps perceived as pointless or painful episodes, lived in the light of something that God has said to him as a promise. They take on a different meaning. Perhaps using that definition from C.S. Lewis, if Abraham is now living in faith that this unsatisfied desire that he has that God's promises would come true because they didn't all come true while he was alive. So they're, they're unsatisfied desires. But for him, they may have been better than any satisfaction, like, nah, you know what, let's just stay here and keep the sheep and the family in Haran, which is where he started. So we do read through the, the account in Genesis and we see what happened to Abraham. Twice he tries to save himself by arguing that his wife's his sister. He splits land with his nephew and then rescues his nephew Lot from warring kings. Impatiently he has a son with a concubine before actually being, uh, receiving a son of his own that God has promised. He seems to be successful and then he dies at a good old age. It just seems like this crazy life that Abraham lived. And yet, for a middle, uh, an ancient Near Eastern guy like Abraham, the idea that there would be a legacy beyond him, a nations, nations that would come from him that were as many as the stars in the sky, the idea that his name would be great, that he would bless others, that was this, this thing that he could look forward to. And so I can't help but infer from these things that Abraham probably had joy. And, and to be more specific, he was looking forward, I think, probably, to the coming of Jesus. I mean, we, Tony read for us in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed when God told him he would have a son that would lead to nations. A joyful event heralding the promises that would be fulfilled. But reading through the Old Testament, all those things that Tony read us and the rest, uh, I, I, it's really hard for me to think that Abraham actually knew Jesus was coming. It seems like a stretch, doesn't it? Fortunately, we have the New Testament. And in John chapter 8, we, we find Jesus having a discussion with some people about who he is. And I want to read you the middle of that conversation. Jesus talking to some people about, about who he is. Uh, and they're a bit upset because they're saying, you're, you're claiming to be someone. And so they exclaim, now we know you're demon-possessed. This is John chapter 8, verse 52. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say, Jesus... That whoever obeys your word will never taste death. 
Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replies, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, he is the one who glorifies me. Though you don't know him, I know him. If I said I didn't, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. And then here in verse 56, Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Jesus said, Abraham had joy. In what? In the thought of seeing Jesus. In the thought of seeing Jesus coming. Absolutely. Amen. Now, now Jesus' primary point in this passage is that he's God. He's saying, before Abraham was born, I am. That's what he goes on to say in John 8. And he, he refers to this I am as both the fact that he's eternal and that's the name that God had uh, in part of the Old Testament. But for our consideration, Jesus makes this categorical statement. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Yes, Abraham had joy. He had joy at the prospect of the son that was coming. And I think that fits beautifully with Lewis' definition. Abraham had this unsatisfied desire that Jesus was coming. That was more desirable than any satisfaction that life could have offered. So I've moved around a little bit today. I hope, I hope that's been followable. I want to leave you with, with a last sort of thought on this idea of joy. I don't think joy is the goal. Rather, joy has an object to it. And it's a bit like love. When I say, I love Helen, I'm not saying that I, I love love. I'm saying there's a person, Helen, who I love. It's very specific. She's the object of my love. It's very different to when I say, I love my kids. And so when we say we have joy, actually the question is, in what? It's the same with joy. C.S. Lewis said that joy is like a signpost. It's like a signpost in a wood when you're lost. You're kind of excited to see it, but it's not the main game. It's pointing to something else. And when we see in the Bible joy referred to, we read phrases like this, rejoice in the Lord, always. I say it again, rejoice. We see that Abraham rejoiced in Jesus. And we read things like the joy of the Lord is our strength. So this season, as we say joy to the world, joy to the world, it's all about Jesus. We're not just offering this piece of happiness or pleasure or joy or however you've landed in your mind to describe joy. We're saying there is a person, Jesus Christ, who is the object of joy, who brings joy in relationship with whom comes this joy that is for the whole world. And may not yet be fully satisfied because we don't yet fully know him. But it can coexist with sadness and pain. It can go through all the events of our lives just as it did for Abraham. 
joy in Jesus. So I'm going to close now. I don't know if that was 18 minutes or not. I didn't actually time this this morning. But there is a beautiful passage that I'm going to close and use as a blessing, kind of a prayer, in the book of Jude. It's called a doxology. And it refers to the amazing joy with which God is going to present us before himself. Before himself. So let me read that to you as I close this morning. Maybe you can close your eyes as I do. To him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with exceeding joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.